Time marches on and leaves behind those who are not equipped for tomorrow. We cannot predict what will happen in the future, but we at Regent University aim to prepare you for it. With world-class professors in over 150 programs, the opportunities to find success in your field are many. So don't let tomorrow pass you by. The journey to your brightest future begins here. Visit regent.edu slash learn more. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money. Your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in. Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, invested, and more. Happy October 29th to you. Two days before it gets spooky. How you doing? Uh, I'm a little tired. Took a wonderful trip uh, to San Diego. Uh, met with some traders. Had some downtime. It was very, very nice. Um, traders is in people who trade the market. This guy out there named Howard Lentzman who... Uh, has a thing called stock twits. Pretty interesting. Kind of a social, here's some investment ideas angle going on. Anyhow, and anyway, uh, one of the presenters there I found kind of interesting uh, was a young group that was trying to get individuals to buy and sell stocks. And this is something that I kind of have a dilemma with. Um, this group's called Robin Hood. They're getting a lot of positive press in the media. Uh, companies like TD Ameritrade and Charles Schwab now have platforms that if you want to invest very little with no cost, you can. But this group wants to do it one up with an app where eh, you, you link the app to your banking account. And if you decide that you want to own Apple today at lunch for you know 10 minutes, you could just Kind of little, not a gamble, not a gamble, but you get this kind of feel like, hey, I, I got, I got a feeling on this one. You throw down, you know, hundred dollars, hundred six dollars, hundred seven dollars, you buy one share, and by the end of lunch, maybe it's at hundred eight dollars, and you made a buck. So it's a no commission banking platform that ties into brokerage. I've got mixed feelings. You know, clearly the no commissions is pretty interesting. How are they going to make money? They're going to make money by you doing margin and things like that. But more importantly to me is if you've got $500 or something, you're not sophisticated. And I know you're doing financially sophisticated. I know you're doing you know, great things in the world. And I know you're smart, but you probably shouldn't be getting in and out of stocks on a minute-by-minute, day-to-day kind of basis. I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying that... Um, 
SEC and FINRA has these guidelines that they set where they call you an accredited investor before you can legally be allowed to buy into uh, hedge funds. That's the theory. Accredited means you're like you got a million dollars and like you know a little bit about money, you know a little bit about risk. So anyway, loan applications to buy homes at the lowest level since. Oh my gosh, what were you doing back last February? Um, but mortgage applications to buy homes fell to their lowest level last week since February. Interest rates on a 30-year home loan edged up from the previous week's 16-month trough. So a fixed 30-year mortgage rate now averages 4.13%, up three basis points from last week's 4.1%. Yay. Um, taking a look today at um, you know, some of the top stories. You know, It's been a couple days since I've been uh, on the air, so a little perspective might help a little bit. The Fed Open Market Committee began its two-day meeting yesterday. That means today is the day that they'll issue their updated policy directive. It comes out at 11 o'clock in the morning Pacific time. Uh, what's that, 2 o'clock Eastern time? If you don't know better, you would have sworn yesterday that a dovish-sounding directive was leaked because bulls had you know, dominion over the stock market from the you know, start to finish. Russell 2000 soared 3% for Pete's sake. It's now up 9.5% since October 13. Having a pretty big move. So the V-shaped recovery has been a bullish catalyst in and of itself, and it's reinforced the notion that the market simply refuses to go in a full-bore correction. A fear of missing out on the next leg higher has been prominent in recent action, as many traders realize that the months of November and December are typically a favorable period for the market. To be sure, participants aren't showing any angst right now. Um, we're waiting for that Fed directive. U.S. Steel, Eaton, WellPoint, Exxon, Wind Resorts, Waste Management, ADP, all had positive earnings. <clears throat> now, who did not have positive earnings? This one's going to shock you. Well, they did have positive earnings, but they also said next year we need to think of it as an investment year. Facebook. Crude prices up 1.4. Um, so Facebook getting kind of <clears throat> shellacked, kind of beaten up, kind of knocked around. Uh, down five bucks a day, so it's seventy-five fifty-nine. Still a very, very good fifty-two weeks, going from fifty bucks a share to seventy-five, all-time high of eighty-one dollars. So yesterday, all-time high. Today, not so much. Now, the expensive way of playing social right now is Alibaba. That hit a hundred dollars a share today. Um, Two hundred forty-two billion dollar market cap. Just going out there and throwing some stuff at you here, so to speak. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Money, investing, and or more. Um, Uber drivers are out there today. And if you haven't taken Uber or Lyft, um, it's worthy of note that you know, these are services that you basically borrow other people whether it be their cars or their time, and they you know do things for you. I, I think I read today, like there's an article out there that Uber will deliver a cat to your office today, and only today. It looks like, well, what's that going on there? 
Uber likes to tell the world that the median salary of their drivers is 90000 per year and up in New York. Turns out that number might be a bit of an exaggeration. So the drivers out there say, you know, that's not true. Um, some drivers say they, they struggle to make minimum wage. A big part of the reason drivers are struggling to hit 90000 is that this summer Uber cut the price on an UberX ride by 20%. UberX is Uber's cheapest option. Drivers drive their own cars, which are non-luxury stands. For consumers, the discount was great news. It meant that taking an UberX would cost less than taking a taxi. For UberX drivers, it was not so great because the UberX drivers got 20% less money, while Uber continued to make the same amount of money. So we'll see how this goes, um, where it falls on, you know, how long can they keep up these, you know, ultra-competitive, cheap, Prices, it's a big question. Um, other big stories out there today. Um, I guess I should talk a little bit about Mark Zuckerberg. He has kind of unveiled, you know, the direction of the company for the next 10 years. He's talking a lot about the future. He said uh, Facebook's expenses are going to increase 50 to 70%. Uh, he wants to have multiple Facebook products, WhatsApp, Messenger, Search, Video, Newsfeed, Oculus, Instagram, each to connect at least 1 billion users. He also wants to improve the advertising experience for brands, particularly on mobile. Facebook will be investing in ways to better target and measure campaigns through data. The strength of the business day is putting up in a strong position to invest in the future for Facebook, so they're not anyone you want to cry for. On previous calls, you've heard, you know, big company goals connecting everyone, understanding the world, building next generation platform. So he's going that direction. I'm Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing more. Drop me an email at rob at robblack.com. It's rob at robblack.com. TNT's getting some bad rap press. AT&T slowed the data speeds of millions of smartphone customers with unlimited data plans, in some cases by nearly 90%. And the FTC doesn't like it. The FTC filed a complaint in federal court that the nation's second largest wireless carrier failed to adequately tell its unlimited data customers that the companies would reduce or throttle their data speeds down. If they use too much data in any given billing cycle, AT&T promised its customers unlimited, that's the uh, key word, unlimited data, and in many instances, it failed to deliver on that promise. AT&T quit offering unlimited plans for new contracts in June of 2010. The customers who had unlimited plans could keep them. 
As wireless networks have improved, customers with unlimited data plans can gobble enough data to actually reduce overall network quality of the rest of the carrier's uh, customers, so says um, some analytics firms. So I guess the bottom line of that is, you know, a little bit of read the fine print, but also know that, you know, the FTC is going to try to win you a little bit of money in court, some sort of settlement, so to speak. Um, you know, AT&T started throttling. It had 14 million customers with unlimited data. The majority of those throttled were iPhone users. Um, so maybe pay attention to this. The FTC, you know, forced AT&T earlier in the month to pay $105 million to federal and state authorities to settle charges that they did unauthorized charges for third-party services on customers' mobile phones. Um, that is a little bit of a problem, that whole you get into a situation where you think you're going to be doing um, one fee and it's another altogether, not one relationship. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Let's uh, take a look at the numbers. The SP 500 is up 2, the Dow is up 35, the NASDAQ down 17. Joining me now, CFP Chad Burton. You can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. One of the things that upsets me, Chad, is that a lot of people get a lot of bad product, financial product. They accumulate it. They feel stuck with it. They feel comfortable being stuck with it. They don't make changes. Let's talk a little annuity rescue. Why do annuities need to be rescued? Well, a lot of people get sold annuities, um, especially, let's say, in their 40s and 50s as an asset accumulation tool, and it's not. It's, an a- it's really certain types of no-load annuities make sense for asset protection from a down market. The ones that have are no-load, underlying investments look like mutual funds. They're extremely low cost. There's not a commission involved. And they have a backup to the stock market that says, okay, we'll pay you 5% or more for life, no matter what the market does. That can be good for 20% of a portfolio, and usually it needs to be in a retirement account, not a taxable account. But what I see is that you get people in their 40s and 50s being sold by brokers and bankers variable annuities as a wealth accumulation tool. Or you see somebody that's you know 75 or 80 years old with an annuity that they've purchased and they were you know, offered all these smoke and mirrors, and all of a sudden they're in this annuity. It's five years old, and it's paying them hardly anything. And give it's not co- doing what they need to do. Give me a couple bullet points why you don't like variable annuities sold to people in their 40s and 50s. Well, because you have what under, the underlying investment looks like mutual funds are called subaccounts. And so they say, well, you can invest in these things, and, and you can rebalance the portfolio, and there's no taxes due because they're tax-deferred. And the true part of that is the average investor asset locates the wrong way, and they lose 15% of the return each year in taxes. So they use this product as a tax deferral type of a product, and they make it sound like you're going to get a guaranteed rate of return on your principal, which you're not. What happens is your your principal will be affected by fees that are in the 2 to 2.5% two range. Yeah. So, so you're do, whatever you're, bells you're and doomed. whistles you get, yeah. you, you're losing in the form of high fees for the rest of your life. You're doomed to underperformance and high fees. Absolutely. Yeah. It's it's you're you're it's dooming. It will cost your family a lot more than the benefits that you're being sold. Right. Um, so you've got to get out of that. You got to figure out a way to asset locate the right way and cut those fees out of the picture, so more money actually stays in your pocket. They they're sold based on fear, but if you look at the balanced portfolio, even from 
2007 to where we are today, it still averaged a great rate of return as long as you had a balanced portfolio and you weren't just in stocks or just in financials. Um, so those high fees aren't going to get you anywhere when you're in your 40s and 50s. It might make sense if you're 65 years old and you have you know maybe 10 to 20 percent of your portfolio and something like that, but it's it's not. And or if you get somebody selling an annuity to somebody that's 75 years old and it's a 10 year lockup period, criminal. And then at the end of the 10 years they're getting one or two percent. And so now they're kind of stuck in this thing. They say, well, I've got all this tax deferred buildup. Now what do I do? So you can still rescue that annuity. You can do what's called a tax-free 1035 exchange into a better type of annuity, or if it's an IRA, back into a regular type of an IRA account. What's an example of a better type of annuity? Well, so you got to find out what you want that annuity to do for you. So let's say you're 65 years old and you've been locked up into some terrible indexed annuity or fixed annuity, and now it's sitting there earning 2% because interest rates are so low. Well, you could 1035 exchange into a no-load variable annuity where – there's no back-end surrender charges, so if you decide you want to get out in two years or a year, you can. And inside the investment, there's other types of investments that look like you know mutual funds that from places like Vanguard and PIMCO and everything else. But no matter what the market does, it'll give you that income that you need of 5% or more for life. Are the fees still higher than a balanced portfolio? Yeah, but you're buying this as part of your kind of hedged income piece of your portfolio. Um, so you can, you can 1035 exchange tax-free into that. But don't 1035 into a portfolio, not another bad product that ties your money up for 10 years. That If it's too complicated to understand or if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. You know, I got into the business at 19 with my grandfather, sold annuities and mutual funds at banks for years and years before fee-based planning was around. So I know these products inside and out. And there's only one fixed annuity I like. There's only one indexed annuity I like and only two no-load variable annuities I like. The rest of the annuities on the market out there, in my opinion, are garbage. Okay. So it's unfortunately one of the fastest growing sold products because they, they offer these these they offer these guarantees that sound so good, you know, six and seven percent. Like you can walk away with a guaranteed six or seven percent return and get a check for that in ten years. You can't. It's kind of smoke and mirrors. What hurts me the most are the slimy people that sell them actually believe that they think they're good products. Yeah, and sometimes it's not their fault. It's usually they've come out of some other industry and they get pushed through a training process where they're kind of brainwashed into believing it. And I kind of like, you know, when I look to hire certified financial planners, yeah. usually it's people that spend four or five years in that type of industry, and then they go get their CFP, and they realize what's right. Yeah. And they know what's right going forward. But they still have a clear understanding of what's wrong with those products that are out there. And that actually makes them a better advisor in the long run. That's CFP Chad Birkin. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial. We have a market that's been pretty good this year. A couple pullbacks here and there, but typically met with a buying efforts to support pullbacks. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more.
There's a lot of ways to invest. One way to invest is to buy mutual funds, a group of stocks, collect it together, to kind of blend all the prices together, and you uh, get maybe 30 stocks for the price of one fund. You can buy individual stocks. It gets a little bit difficult, a little bit tricky. You can buy exchange-traded funds, which are similar to mutual funds, but probably more tax-efficient is the easiest way of saying it. You could buy them during the day at any time of the day, whereas with mutual funds, you buy before the market or after the market. You sell before the market, sell after the market. Uh, one thing that you know a lot of people are looking for, they don't want to lose money. That's where it gets kind of tricky, because if everyone's going to make money in the stock market, then we'd all do it, you know, right? So what stock market sector do you look at? There's telecom stocks, there's retail stocks, there's financial stocks, there's healthcare stocks. We're all going to get sick. Healthcare seems like a good idea over time. There's technology stocks, which are more growthy. When you're growing, you don't really share your cash with your shareholders. You share your cash with yourself, and if you need to go buy a company or buy a technology or hire, you have that ability to do that. So one area that I should talk about is telecommunications. You know what telecommunications is. Um, so I don't need to tell you exactly what it is, right? Um, telecommunications stocks are more attractive right now. The, some theory that the Federal Reserve is going to delay raising short-term interest rates because of tepid global issues uh, tied towards particularly Europe and then the emerging markets of the world beyond that. The average large company U.S. telecom stock yields about 4.9% compared with 2.2% for the 10-year Treasury. So if people are going to be looking for yield, I want to make some money on my money. I want money to make little baby money. Baby! Uh, we well, got to be kind of patient. And invest in telecommunications stocks is one way of doing it. Morgan Stanley said it was cautious about the telecom sector because of increased competition with wireless and broadband services. So if you want you know, reliable income, stick with telecoms that can increase their revenues or generate enough cash to sustain that dividend. You can look overseas. You don't just have to look at the United States. Uh, telecommunication stocks, in my opinion, uh, should be considered. But maybe they're not for you. So you're going to have to work with advisors for taking action on these stocks that I mentioned right here. So if you've ever shopped for a mobile phone, you probably know AT&T and Verizon. Uh, they're the big boys. So AT&T's dividend is 5.4%, but, you know, they're going to get sued on occasion because of, you know, customer services and billing issues and throttling of Internet speeds. So you pay the full cost of your phone sometimes, you know. Uh, sometimes you get a discount. Sometimes it's an installment. Uh, the plans that AT&T are getting famous for are no contract plans. So phone giants trying to make up for the lower price service plans with volume, excluding prepaid customers, telecom company. AT&T added 785,000 wireless subscribers during the uh, quarter recently, and that's surprising to me. So that's more than double that they did you know, a year earlier. The amount of churn also declined from... Uh, it's just a very small amount, just about 99 basis points, 100 basis points equals 1%. 
The transition to no contract plans has been pretty smooth for them. During the third quarter, AT&T lowered its revenue projection for the year from 5% as little to 3%, citing fewer than expected phone upgrades. Meanwhile, the proposed acquisition of satellite TV provider DirecTV wins regulatory approval. AT&T could expand its reach. The company would be able to add high-speed Internet services to another 15 million customers and offer bundled packages that include pay TV to 115 million locations. Uh, there's another one that I like called VCE, which is basically the AT&T of Canada. Um, dividend yield of about 5.2%. They're Canada's largest telecom company. The number of Internet, TV, and wireless subscribers increased by 3.7%. So that's, you're not going to get a lot of growth in any of these names, but you're going to get a nice dividend. And they just upped their dividend, you know, roughly 6%. And you'll see a similar boost in 2015. So what they do with their cash flow is they, they share it with you. Um, well-funded well company, but you're not going to get growth, maybe, but you're definitely, you know, not going to get into a lot of trouble because we need our phone services, especially on businesses' levels. There's one called CenturyLink, as far as telco companies goes, that we never hear about. Ticker symbol is CTL. They yield about 5.4%. They serve mostly rural areas in the United States. Their stock has soared. Growing demand by businesses for CenturyLink's data storage and broadband services is one of the main reasons. Revenues in the company's business segment expand about 2.6%. Um, the dividend, they had a dividend cut 26% last week, last year to free up some cash flow um, for $2 billion worth of stock repurchases. Dividend cuts never welcome. It's never wanted. It's not good. But the current payout at an annual rate of $2.16 a share appears sustainable. And again, there's someone that wants CTL, CenturyLink. Consult a worker advisor before taking any action on any stocks mentioned on the show. You want a European play? I give you Orange. Orange, believe it or not, is a trademark name. And their dividend yields about 3.8%. This, this is more growth, but this is also a little bit more risk. That's the competition. Orange, one of France's largest telecom players, after nearly three years of cuts, analysts believe phone bills can't go much lower. Orange is offset the decline somewhat by attracting new customers in France, as well as in major markets like Poland, Spain, Africa, and the Middle East. Orange made a bid to acquire Jazztel, a Spanish telecom player. If they get them, they're going to have 1.5 million broadband customers in Spain and the opportunity to sell coveted quadruple play packages that kind of lock people in. Stock trades about 10 times next year's earnings, so consider orange if you're looking for something to consult a worker advisor for taking action in any stocks mentioned on there. Uh, another Canadian company that I like, I love Canada because of their beer, their women, and their hockey. I think their Mounties are a little bit on the silly side, but uh, Rogers Communications, a good telco play, dividend yield of about 4.3%. Stock has come under pressure recently as competitors are starting to get into pay TV business. Uh, Rogers may be rounding the corner. Average revenue per wireless customer declined about seven tenths of a percent compared to about 1.4 percent the same time last year. It's the largest wireless carrier. They used less than 60 percent of its earnings to pay the dividends, which it boosted by about five percent this year. So, again, not for everyone, but it's something you may consider. And again, you don't have to. Uh, for the record, I own AT&T stock I mentioned earlier in the show um, directly and. I own some of these companies probably in like mutual funds, right? Verizon Communications, I like Verizon. It's probably my favorite 
growth and income telco stock. Despite intense competition, Verizon maintains the leading 4G LTE network. Uh, quality of its network has helped retain customers. During the third quarter, Verizon's churn was the lowest amongst the industry. Revenues may grow at a slower rate in the immediate future as wireless carriers continue to duke it out over pricing. Verizon uses about half of its earnings to pay its dividend, which it increased by about 3.8% in September. It yields about 4.5%. It's the sole owner of the wireless unit as Verizon you know, uh, bought out Vodafone's stake in the company. That should bode well. I'm not saying that it definitively will, but it should. Um, so those are some telco plays. And again, telecommunications are, are part of a diversified portfolio. Um, you can't own only tech stocks, or you shouldn't own only tech stocks. Uh, Vodafone is an, you know, a great name as well. Um, very high dividend yield of almost 8%. That can start to become a bit of a problem because that's typically not sustainable. But, you know, they got a huge price when they sold uh, their Verizon Wireless division, their stake in it, completely over to Verizon. Uh, the deal allowed that firm, which operates in nearly 30 countries and claims more than 430 million customers, to invest in new assets. They bought a Spanish cable operator, Ono, for 7.2 billion euros, about 9.1 billion in cash. Patient investors get a big dividend yield of 8%. Remember, the higher the dividend yield, the riskier the stock probably is to um, shareholders, you know, in the principle that you invest in the company. In large part, um, that's a big payout. And when you have banks giving you almost nothing on a CD, some people, you know, look for this kind of uh, opportunity as woo. 1% better than 0%, 0% you know, not good, so 2% better than 1%, and then they talk themselves up into like 8%, it's fantastic. And you really just have to understand, that's when the risk starts really yeah, exponentially start to increase to principle. I shouldn't use the word exponentially, but I'm going to as a way of just, you know, again, trying to remind you, be cautious. Be cautious. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Uh, never be shy. Drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. It's rob at robblackshow.com. You can find me on YouTube, Rob Black Show. You can find me on uh, Twitter, Rob Black Show. Again, you can drop, always drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. We can talk colleges, investments, student debt, what to invest in, what not to invest in. I'm Rob Black. Thanks for listening. Peter Gabriel bringing us back from break. 
Peter Gabriel was once part of Genesis way, 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 way back. And uh, he walked out of that machinery and did his own thing. I'm comparing that to maybe you starting your own business one day. I'm pro taking chances, especially if you're a couple. It can make sense for one person to be the entrepreneur and the other person to get you know, great benefits at a big firm. Again, it's not always that easy, but sometimes. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Let's take a quick look at some of the business headlines out there because it should give us a pretty good idea of what's going on. First and foremost, this is Fed Notes Day. That's when they release their information that they're thinking about. And Wall Street's been queuing off this for many years. Um, Low-cost money is rock. Earnings is scissors. Uh, Global issues and fears is paper, maybe. And some days, you know, it plays out rock beats scissors, and some days it plays out that paper beats rock, and it's that's kind of the way it is. I know that sounds pretty odd, but it's what it is. Um, 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Facebook said yesterday, after the market closed and their earnings, they're going to ramp up spending. That's kind of the big story of the day in technology. Fiat said they're going to spin off Ferrari. Their board has decided to spin off Ferrari. It's going to float about 10% of the luxury brand. It's interesting. Um, I certainly don't see Ferraris in my lifetime becoming Chevettes. Um, I see them as a pretty dominant brand. Is there a lot of competition? Yeah. But would I want to own, be an owner of a company that made Ferraris? Well, you could when Fiat spins them off. U.S. Virgin Islands, called St. Croix, or Crocs, if you will, is moving to reopen a big refinery that closed two years ago, and it's likely going to process U.S. crude. Ford is recalling some of its older model SUVs. Well, let me stay on that story for a second. St. Croix, oil refinery. Um, If you've ever been to that part of the world, the U.S. Virgin Islands, the Bermuda area, Bahamas, You'll see a lot of, like, really big industrial businesses there because they're so close to the United States, and we don't want them here is what it comes down to. But a big joint venture between Hess and the National Oil Company of Venezuela is, you know, one of the largest in the United States before companies shut it down a couple years ago. It'll have some cost advantages over the United States. Uh, the so-called Jones Act requires all goods shipped between U.S. ports to move on vessels built in the U.S. and sailed by American crews. That makes tankers more expensive to rent and harder to find. Um, St. Croix is a U.S. territory, so it is exempt from the Jones Act. Uh, Hess built the St. Croix plant in 1966, and by 1970s it expanded to become at one point the largest in the world, 650,000 barrels. Global economic slowdown in 2008 has cut into demand for fuel, and that's one of the reasons it, you know, it can be volatile, to say the least. Ford is recalling some older model SUVs. 
You know, I've never owned a car that got a recall of note. I'm a little upset by that. It's, does that tell you I'm buying good quality dependable automobiles? Yeah, but it also tells you that I don't take a lot of risk, which is okay by me. Hershey's international sales have disappointed, and they're going to continue to disappoint, especially if things get out of hand with Ebola in Africa, where a lot of the cocoa of the world is. Hershey warned sales of some of its international markets have been limited due to macroeconomic challenges. Uh, when people are poor, when people are struggling, they don't go for that luxury that is a candy bar. Hershey's expects sales to grow about 4.75%. Milton Hershey was not the nicest man in the world. Have you ever looked at documentaries on him? Um, I'm not going to get into the real darker thoughts of him, but here's one. He built a town, and basically he let his employees you know, rent houses from him. And ultimately, that was a way of kind of... Not only did he make money by having the factory that made chocolate, but he made money by having employees that rented homes from him. And you know, he was able to kind of control them in, in a bit, urge them in certain directions. The company, Hershey, makes Hershey Kisses. When was the last time they had a Hershey Kiss? Aww. Hershey Milk Chocolate Bars. Reese's Kit Kat. Average price increase of 8% across the majority of its products. Um, is what they did last year, citing higher utility and transportation costs. So a little bit on the bumpy side. Sales rose in Hershey for the quarter. What do you think? Worldwide, what do you think they did in candy sales? Da, 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 da. Greater than or less than $1.5 billion. Greater than or less than $1.5 billion in the last 90 days. Look at your neighbor, who's kind of a big fat Oompa Loompa. How much do you think they did in sales? Alex, back to you. The correct answer, $1.96 billion. So you would have had to go over on that one. Um, that's pretty crazy. Now, how much do you think costs were? $1.6 billion. So you take the sales and you minus the cost and expenses, and they posted a $223 million profit. Not bad. I think they'll be in business the day I die. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. Take a break here. Be right back. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful. Informative. Irreverent. We're ready. The Wall Street Business Network presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finances, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800 516 
1220. So call in, we'll chat, and uh, have some fun. Now, to start your day with the latest news and market commentary, here's Rob Black on the Wall Street Business Network. Welcome in, Rob Black. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Talking a little wealth accumulation, a little wealth management, insurance, investments. Um, anything you can find that's tied towards money. Your job, your 401k, your benefits. Believe it or not, your benefits are sometimes worth staying for. I have a friend who was offered a job, basically the same pay, and then she figured out that she gets more vacation time with the company she's with than the company she'd be going to. And the vacation time is paid, so it's actually a lot more money to stay where she is. Anyway, joining me now, and that's why I'm saying benefits can be um, like income. Joining me now, CFP, Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton? Doing well. How about you? Doing well. In your email today, you and I always trade emails and we talk about what do you want to talk about, what do you want to talk about. You want to talk about widows and widowers today. Kind of fitting for Halloween and a scary time. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, too. Um, but yeah, we have got a kind of an alert for widows and widowers. So, you know, we've talked about how drastically estate tax laws changed in December 31st, 2012. And part of that change is that it, it allows for what's called portability of the estate taxes. So usually when you had a married couple and you pass away for each person to get their old million dollar credit, the first death of a spouse, a bypass or credit shelter trust, you, it, you used to have to fund one of those. Otherwise, the person that died in a married couple, the first one that died would lose their credit, their, their ability to pass on a million plus to the heirs. Well, December 31st, 2012, it made it so that you could pass on $5.34 million. That's now adjusted up with, for, with inflation. And you don't have to fund necessarily a trust. Sometimes you still want to, but you don't have to. The surviving spouse can kind of port over and take the deceased spouse's credit. And the reason why I mention this is because we're in 2014, and widowers and widows have until 12-31-2014 to file an estate tax return. If their spouse passed away in 2011, 12, or 13, they actually could go back and file an estate tax return for the deceased spouse and get that credit over. So if they weren't able to fund a bypass trust, either they didn't have the right trust document in place or they didn't fund it, they can go backwards in time and file an estate tax return and, and grab that credit, bring it over to their side of the ledger and pass more money onto their heirs without paying estate taxes. Okay, that's kind of tricky. How, did, how would the average person know that, out of curiosity? Well, you know, if, you, if you're, if you're you know, a widower, widow or a widower, um, and you think at any point your estate's going to be worth over $5 million and just, you know, take your assets and project them forward with inflation and, and see if you're that person, um, then you're probably going to want to do this. It doesn't hurt to do it at all. Um, so if, if you have, you know, I'd say even $4 million or more, it, it's worth the cost of going back and filing a state tax return in order to, to you know, get the ability to pass that on. So maybe you're only worth two and a half, three million, Rob, okay. with your home and some assets. But there's a good chance you're going to inherit a lot of money. You better do this because it, it again, it does not hurt to get it done. So if you're, I know, if you've had a spouse that passed away in the last three years, I would go talk to a CPA today. 
who's the right person to want to go back and file a return on somebody that died three years ago? Yeah, it's, um, again, anybody that thinks that they're going to be worth a couple million bucks to over $5 million and, or if you can inherit a lot of money. So I think basically the right person, in my opinion, go get some advice. If you had a, a widow, if you're, if you had a spouse that passed away in the last three years, go talk to your attorney, go talk to your CPA and see if this is right for you. Okay. You know, let's, you know, push this topic a little further. What should couples do now to simplify things so that their spouse doesn't have to do and worry about bypasses and portability? Like, well, what's the call to action? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the estate tax laws have changed, have changed drastically. So if you have not revised or reviewed your living trust since January of 2013, call your attorney today to do it. Um, you need better language. You need more flexible language because I don't know and you don't know if in 10, 15 years you're going to want to fund these bypass trusts or just pour it over the credit. And the 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 timing, the, it changes based on what your net worth is. So you can build flexible language and disclaimer language and things like that into your trust. And when you go do it, are you a blended family? Are you trying to protect assets to your kids? Uh, from a previous marriage. And you got to think about all those things when you go in to, to talk to the attorney about revising your trust. Give me a little bit more color. What does it mean to fund a bypass trust? You said if you decide you want to continue to do it. Why do we have to continue to do it, and what is it? Well, so funding a bypass trust, and a lot of the old plans when the first person died would force the funding of what's called a bypass trust in order to keep the credit, the estate tax credit of the first spouse that died. And in the past, it was a million dollars, so if you didn't do it, it could cost your heirs $500,000 plus in tax, estate taxes when the second person died. But for most Americans now, you don't need to do that. In fact, if you do it, you actually trade an estate tax problem with a capital gain tax problem for your heirs. Okay. And most people don't have an estate tax problem anymore, so if they fund those trusts, they're actually just creating a capital gain tax problem for their heirs. So again, Rob, it's another one of those things where government passes a law and makes it even more confusing and just trades one tax for another instead of revising the entire system. We've got a minute or two. Let's talk Social Security. This month, they said that they're going to start mailing statements to most workers every five years, beginning at age 25 until they reach 60, yeah, when yeah. annual paper statements. Go ahead. It, well, yeah, I mean, the government you know, spends millions of dollars going fully electronic for Social Security where you go to my social security or myssa.gov and you create an account so you can get your social security statements whenever you want to. But there's enough pushback that they made a change in Congress to force the mailing of statements again every five years, starting at the age of 25, and then every year when you're 60 and beyond. So start looking out for those paper statements again in the mail um, when you're 25, when you're 30, 35, and so on and so forth, and then every year starting at age 60. And the point of the statements is that you look at them to verify your income. And you know, I've been in the business for 22 years. There's been two times, only two times in the whole period of time where we've looked at a statement and there's missing income information where the IRS and the Social Security system didn't talk the right way and they were missing income on their Social Security statement. They had to go back and, and show Social Security, you're wrong. Here's my income in, in the year 2002. And um, so the, the reason for that is to verify your income and then get an idea how much Social Security is going to give you in retirement. You can also have to get those numbers to you know, maximize Social Security between couples. Thanks very much. That's CFP Chad Burton. You can find him at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. And uh, he's a CFP. He works with other CFPs. He helps manage individual accounts. 
Uh, he helps manage individuals. So you have an issue like you're married, and you have an issue where one spouse dies. It's I ask him the question, like, how are people supposed to know some of the stuff that you're spouting out? Because it's pretty hardcore stuff, talking about portability of a deceased spouse unused estate tax exemption. What? Like, even saying that is a mouthful. Um, refiling your dead spouse's taxes three years after the fact. Like, really? Didn't know I could do that. Again, having a living trust with very flexible language, things along those lines. Blended families are very, very different. Uh, worthy of note. 800-516-1220. If you ever want to get your calls in the air, drop me an email, rob at robblackshow.com. You can find CFP Chad Burton. Get a portfolio review, complimentary at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. Apple stock is continuing to move higher. I own shares of Apple, but the whole Apple payroll out, the iPhone 6, iPhone 6 Plus, it hasn't been smooth. The new operating system, there's been a lot of hiccups. You know, A lot of retailers were going to use the system, and they said, nope. CVS and Rite Aid said, nope. Walmart said, nope. And one of the reasons why is that they have a company under contract developing a payment system for them. And that contract specifically says you can't use competition. So a company called MCX, Merchant Customer Exchange, the question is, will they opt out of using it? And or will they continue to push their own solution? Their solution, MCX solution, is not a good one. It involves um, QRS codes and things along those lines. It's not smooth. It's not easy. It's not integrated. So I, their system is doomed to fail. Apple Pay will eventually move forward with that. Uh, again, it'll also help Google Wallet. So don't totally buy into, uh, you know, Apple is the end-all, be-all. Let's talk a little real estate. Welcome in to a moment with Shakespeare. Macbeth once said, to get points or not to get points. Okay, so that's not true. But that's a question that people have. To be or not to be, another question they have is, should I buy points when I get a mortgage? When I get a loan, should I pay money to get a lower cost loan? It, I mean, that almost sounds like a scam. That almost sounds too good to be true. It's an odd concept that you have to pay to lower your rate. Points, paying for points. Pay, a point is equal to a percentage of your loan amount. So if you're paying one point, that's 1%. If it's a $400,000 loan, that's $4,000 extra. So if... But if paying that point drops your rate by a quarter percent and you save $150 a month, divide 4000 by 150 and that's how many months it takes for you to recoup those costs. So if you keep it longer than that, those months, let's say it's 33 months, and you plan on keeping that house for seven years, 84 months, you're going to benefit every month after that. So it's an investment into your loan. Um, a lot of people use uh, points when... 
rates are going up, or if it's in a purchase and the seller is giving them some concessions because on a purchase, all of your costs are out of the down payment plus your closing costs. So the best way to get some additional costs is either from the rate, which is the opposite of paying points, or from the seller. So if the seller is giving you some concessions in cash, you can use that to pay points, which pays off over the long term. So somebody else is paying you, you for having a lower rate. I recently got an email from someone who was going through a refi, and he says, I've never paid points. And that was interesting because I was like, I've always paid points. And I, I look at it as buying them. It's buying a cheaper loan. And if I'm going to be in the house or I'm going to have a rental for more than two, three years, typically the math is going to work out that it's worth it, especially in low interest rate environments. So the, you're getting lower interest rates. Right. And the people who don't pay points are actually at a higher rate than if they actually paid some costs. So... This brings me to um, my issue I have with banks and other kinds of brokers and bankers that don't give options out. They're looking at the mass amount of people out there looking to refinance or purchase a house and saying, oh, we're going to give you low costs. In reality, they may not be doing the right service to this borrower when they should have paid a point, and it would have saved them money on a longer term. So they're not really qualifying. They're looking at those emotions, of, uh, and they're looking at, at a formula that says if we advertise this, we're going to get more return on our uh, on our clients. So make sure that when you do look at a loan, look at all of the options. As a matter of fact, the new rules that came out last year make brokers uh, explain that if you paid points, this would be your lowest rate. If you don't pay points, this is the rate. And by the way, I'm choosing this rate. So it's called a, it's part of the anti-steering rule where we're not steering you into a product that's making you, us more money and costing you more money. So be very careful about somebody who says no points. That also means you're taking a higher rate. I always find it um, intimidating, the process of getting a loan, because at some point in time, you look at the cost. You look at how much you're borrowing. You're looking at how long it's going to take to pay off. So I f that's the area that I think most people talk themselves out of points, and I really, really want people to run both the scenarios. Uh, because, yes, when you look at that, that final sheet of how much stuff costs and how many pieces of paper you're going to have to sign, you know, I've paid attorneys to sign for me because I don't like mortgages, mortgage paperwork that much. I'm just like, you go sign for me. Um, you get it done. Um, well, I guess what I'm trying to say here is don't get intimidated by the process and know that points, generally, in my opinion, are a good thing to consider. Uh, if you think you're going to be moving next year or two, No. But then again, if you think you're going to be moving next year to a 30-year mortgage isn't appropriate for you either. Right, and you could do the same thing by getting an arm, uh, like a five-year arm. If you're going to leave in two years, get a five-year arm or a three-year arm. You're going to get a lower rate to begin with and then do a no point, and your rate's lower as if you were to pay points on a 30-year. So but that freaks people out because what if I can't sell the property in three to five years on the arm – and I can't refinance, and I can't, and the rates go right. like, oh, the rate, oh, the rates went higher. I'd be like, people freak out. Yep. And uh, we're all gonna die. <laughs> Earth is gonna go hurtling in the sun at some point in time, and I just don't think life. Aren't is... we getting closer to the sun every year? I now you're freaking me out. You're listening to Tony Mendez. You can find him at BayAreaLoanSource.com. That's BayAreaLoanSource.com. And I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. Taking a look at the stock market, the top stories, the Fed policy directive being released today at 1 Pacific time. Final $15 billion taper expected. Facebook beat expectations, but they said there's going to be a slowdown in revenue growth as they're getting big. And that makes sense. And they're going to invest in a lot of future products, projects as well. And that makes sense. So today it's a little funeral dirge, RIPQE. 
kind of a pro-pro, wouldn't you say, for the time of year. The U.S. economy is better today than what it was when the Federal Reserve started down this path of quantitative easing. They need to end it so that they could use it again, maybe one day, and start, you know, resupplying their ammo, so to speak. What remains wide open for debate is just how much improvement is due to the Fed's quantitative easing program, as opposed to normal cyclical factors at work, right? There's big worry out there that the Federal Reserve has been tapering its monthly asset purchases throughout the year, cutting them from 10 million increments, such that the pace of purchase has gone from 85 billion per month to where it currently is at 15 billion. Under its current directive, the Fed's buying 5 billion of agency mortgage-backed securities per month and 10 billion of longer-dated Treasury securities. With the Fed cutting its asset purchases this year on a regular basis and essentially telegraphing the end of the initiative, it's amusing to hear market pundits place a good bit of blame for the stock market's recent turmoil on the idea. You know, what this all means, boiling it down, slow growth trajectory, six years after the start of what would be a $4 trillion expansion of the Federal ba- uh, Reserve's balance sheet. That's crazy. It's a big reason why quantitative agents have been liking to push it on a string. It hasn't really done a lot. We've had reckless policy action, no matter what side of the debate you're on. There's a range of available indicators that will shape the debate for decades to come about what impact QE really had. Um, We'll look at new home sales. We'll look at 10-year treasury yields. We'll look at the Dow. We'll look at the NASDAQ. We'll look at initial claims, existing home sales, non-farm payrolls. Quantitative easing played into a lot of those. Now we're going to start watching those numbers to see where they trend in the coming future. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. I know what you're trying to say, baby. You're trying to say, oh, yeah, it's business time. As the song plays, it reminds us that now we're going to be speaking with Dr. Jeff Rosen, ChiefEconomistBriefing.com. How are you, Mr. Rosen? Oh, pretty good. How about yourself? Good, good. Enjoying the time of the season, so to speak. Uh, You know, Halloween kind of marks off the next two or three months where I don't do a lot and have a lot of days off, and I kind of like that. Sounds good to me. With that said, one of the things that I was, you know, thinking about this morning, um, October, November, December, last three months of the year, a lot of economic activity. Um, on the personal side, people funding their 401ks. On the business side, budgets getting flushed. Um, is the last three months of the year economically the strongest? Yeah. Activity-wise. I mean, you have to remember that when you look at the growth rates and everything, it's all seasonally adjusted. So all of the end-of-year events that normally show strong economic growth don't show up as like a huge boom in terms of GDP gains compared to previous quarters. So, you know, the Christmas holiday purchasing season, for example, 
I mean, you're going to see, you know, retailers having nice numbers, but when you compare it to uh, the third quarter, you're not going to see a big jump because, you know, the, the comparison isn't based on Christmas. It's based on how much better was uh, this Q4 compared to a normal uh, holiday season, and then using that number, they compare it to the to the third quarter. Okay, any big economic data out this morning that is moving the markets? I, I mean, I think everybody's focused on the FOMC meeting uh, and it, you know the conclusion that comes out today to see whether or not uh, the Fed's going to completely end QE as expected, and then to see if there's any changes in their language regarding how long interest rates are going to remain low. Um, I think that this meeting in itself is probably uh, going to be pretty benign. I think that the expectations are going to match what the Fed does, because I don't think the Fed's going to change things much when they don't have a, um, a press conference afterwards. So I think it's setting the stage for the December report, which is when I think they're finally going to start altering the language of um, the directive on when rates could rise and, and how fast rates could rise. So I, I think people are, are trying to get in the planning stages right now of what that uh, December meeting is going to look like. Since quantitative easing has started, I think I read we've put about $4 trillion of debt, essentially, on the Federal Reserve's balance sheets. Does that sound about right? That's about right, yeah. Okay, what's that mean to the average listener out there? It sounds nothing. horrible. <laughs> okay. I mean, to the average listener, nothing. I mean, if the Fed uh, was going to sell those bonds, um, you know, theoretically you could flood the market and, and you know, cause yields to spike pretty quickly. But, you know, all intents and purposes, the Fed's going to keep this stuff on their balance sheet until it matures. And then as it matures, it pays off the um, – you know, the proceeds back to the Treasury. So it, it just kind of flows from one government hand to another. It's it's really not making too much of an effect. The effect on the larger scale is that it reduced the supply of, of bonds on the open market, which, you know, kept things more in check and made demand higher, which pushed down yields. And I think that was what the, the whole goal is. So unless the Fed decides and I think this would be a pretty drastic move to start selling that debt. I think that uh, it's more likely that you know it looks bad on a balance sheet because it looks like a massive amount, but in reality, it just won't. as it matures, it, it falls away, and you know the money supply comes down naturally, and 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 things re- return to a more normal uh, lending environment. The implications or the ramifications of pulling quantitative easing completely off. Um, it plays with statistics, economic statistics. Any of them do you think will like trend differently um, now that quantitative easing is off? Do you expect the 10-year Treasury to float higher? Do you expect the stock markets to go lower? Do you think housing starts will change? Uh, what's the biggest ramification, you think, when QE is all said and done and debated? I don't think you're going to see much movement. I think that okay. QE worked on the margin, um, but I don't think it was a big motivator of economic growth. Um, I think that the problem is still that in a liquidity trap, you need to have a buyer of last resort. And, you know, in normal circumstances, that would be uh, the government, not the Fed. And the government has been more of a, um, an austerity push of limiting debt and, and trying to, to draw down the, the deficit. So, you know, I don't think you're going to see much change in overall economic 
trends unless you have the government come out and and put some type of stimulus package, be it uh, fiscal spending, be it uh, you know, tax decreases to uh, increase or try to spur private spending. But um, you know that is going to be the main motivator towards growth. You know the way the economy is situated right now. Um, there's just the Fed just doesn't have the power to influence that much anymore. You know, we, since QE uh, was announced that it was going to be uh, ended, we've had a, a decline in rates. So we didn't have the expected uptick, and then I think things are going to be more of the same. Rates are going to stay low, and and you know, Fed funds rates going to stay low, and it's going to have very little impact on influencing businesses to invest or consumers to go out and buy uh, durable goods. Let's play fantasy here for a second. When do you think the 10-year Treasury might be back at 3.5%, Oh, boy. Um, 2016 at the minimum. I mean, okay. if That's you fair. think about it, the way the uh, the 10-year Treasury is, is that it's an assumed average of the Fed's funds rate for the next 10 years. So you're assuming that the Fed funds rate doesn't move very much in the next, you know, six to 12 months. Most uh, economists expect the first rate hike won't happen until uh, at least the June or July meeting. The public or the market implications based on the Fed funds futures is is right now in October. So you have a zero essentially for the first 12 months. And then you, you know the Fed is not going to raise rates you know, at a fast, quick speed. If you look at uh, previous trends, you know, you, you go up a meeting, maybe wait a meeting, go up a meeting, wait a meeting. So it's going to take a long time for the Fed funds rate to return to the 4 to 5% that it typically is. So if it takes a while for that rate to rise, there's no room for the 10-year to get up to 35 4%, because the average is just going to be uh, low for an extended period of time until the rate's are able to start moving up. So I, I think we got a while. Okay. Economic or business-wise speaking, uh, it's earnings season. It's kind of starting to wind down. Do you have any commentary on earnings from corporate America? No, I, I tend to stay kind okay. of on the sidelines on quarter-over-quarter quarter earnings. You know, right now we know that profits are strong uh, comparatively, and we know that uh, businesses are making money. It's showing up in the GDP reports. It's showing up in the corporate profit reports, and, and that's not changing. Uh, we're not seeing a slowdown uh, per se. We're just seeing more of, you know, the same, you know, two, two and a half percent growth trends, and, and I think the businesses are aware of that and are uh, planning on, on growth remaining around that same level for uh, at least the near future. Okay. Um, anything else that you want to add? Anything you're working on? Uh, I think that we get GDP tomorrow. I know it's backward looking. We get to see how uh, the third quarter performed. I'm um, right now well below consensus. The briefing.com consensus is 3%. I'm looking at 2%. I think that uh, you know the, the trends of you know secular stagnation of two to two and a half percent growth that uh, we've been talking about you know on your show for a couple times now and you know what the IMF has basically said is pretty true I think that you know we're in a place where things are improving but not improving at the rate that we would expect it to be and I think that uh, tomorrow's GDP report is going to show more of that okay thanks very much that's Dr. Jeff Rosen um, we're gonna be looking at GDP again you know, we're going to get jobs numbers 
next Friday. That'll be something we're paying attention to. But today is the day that we really have to start dealing with the quantitative easing you know, math. Now that it's physically being stopped, what's going to happen is that the Federal Reserve is going to have to work on language. It's kind of an odd concept to really you know, break down, but it's going to be a talking issue at this point. You know, uh, Fed's cutting the, the physical and going to policy, um, or not policy, but words. So favoring guidance over bond buys. And Dr. Jeff Rosen, Chief Economist, Briefing.com, I was, when I asked him, I said, when do we might get back to those 3.5%, levels on the 10-year Treasury? He said, eh, 2016 earliest. Now, watch the 10-year Treasury today. After the news, um, you'll get a good feel for it. Tomorrow, the next couple of days, watch gold. Uh, in the future, we'll watch housing numbers. Uh, they obviously have a big play in this. Uh, vehicle sales, where you know the cost of borrowing is or isn't. You know, a lot of the vehicle sales in the last couple of years are going to hurt the automobile companies in the next eight to ten years, because they borrowed money at such a low cost that they gave you the money at such a low cost. That's one of the ways that they make money. Is you know, not the zero percent interest loans. Um, so they need that you know car loan that's a little bit higher. They can make money, automobile dealers make money off you trading in your car. Sticker price, what you pay for it, but also what they get you to borrow. So just keep that in mind. 800-516-1220 to get your calls in the air. You can find briefing.com. Great resource, great insights, multiple types of insights, uh, whether it be individual companies, sectors, the economy, the market. You can find out more information at briefing.com. I'm Rob Black. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Anything you want to talk about, we can talk about. New Avengers movie? No. I won't spoil it for you. Um, I think one of the big stories out there right now is, you know, quantitative easing. Again, I keep coming back to that. You know, Wall Street seems to have done very, very well since the Fed has said, you know, lower interest rates, lower interest rates, lower interest rates, keep them low, keep them low, buy bonds, buy bonds. Market's up 230, 240% in the last five years. Woo! Holy mackerel! That's easy, right? But a large part of that is, where are you going to put your money? You're not putting it in CDs and banks. It kind of pushes you to invest in riskier assets, but it also kind of pushes corporate America to borrow money at low costs. 
You are corporate America. You believe in low-cost loans. Now go out and spend it. Analysts love the fact that Facebook is going to be putting money into the company. Facebook shares fell, you know, five, six, seven percent throughout trading on Wednesday, the day after the company revealed aggressive spending plans for 2015. One way to look at Facebook is, um, and for the record, I'm serious. Facebook. One way of looking at Facebook is to say it's got a lot of cash, right? In the stock price, they can go out and buy hundred billion dollars of other companies just by issuing shares of the company. So no analysts that I found today have cut their recommendation on the company following the release of its results. Several said the price decline represented a buying opportunity. Now, 15 brokerages cut their price targets on the stock, but not the rating on the stock. Facebook delivered a strong quarter. It's very well positioned in increasingly mobile and social internet landscape. Facebook is investing in strength and future growth opportunities. So a lot of price targets, you know, right around 85 bucks. Shares of Amazon, eBay, Google, Netflix also fell um, when they failed to live up to investor expectations recently. So you've already seen rapid share price recoveries in those guys. Amazon's up 4%, eBay and Google up 7%, Netflix up 16%. So if the trend follows with Facebook that followed with the Amazons, Ebays, Googles, and Netflix, very not similar companies, but high-flying companies for sure. So that's part of their earnings report. They get out there and they give kind of a projection on what's going forward. Facebook spent billions of dollars to buy fast-growing companies like WhatsApp, Instagram, and Oculus. Um, spending is going to hurt earnings for the sh- for sure in the short term. I drive by their campus every Friday, and they're building almost a small I don't know, it feels like eight shopping malls complex. And it's just to keep employees at or near their their business, their work. You know, hey, go home, cross the street, see you in the morning. Go home, cross the street, and get a pizza. See you in the morning. So Facebook shares are up 50% since the start of the year. So it's not, you know, I, I don't want to be cute and say that, you know, there's no risk in the stock. But very few companies in the world can command what they command in eyeballs. And advertisers love eyeballs. And advertisers love potentially targeting. If an advertiser knows that you like skiing, and you post a lot of pictures of exotic vacations, and you know you, your last vacation was two years ago, an advertiser might pay more to say, hey, this is a great getaway vacation then say, maybe Coca-Cola. Maybe you don't drink Coke. Just because you like skiing, exotic vacations, it's been a while since you've been on vacation, maybe Coke doesn't care. So that's where Facebook's going to make some dominance. Um, and that's, I don't know. 800-516-1220. Take your calls in the air. It's 800-516-1220. Calls in the air. I would say that Facebook and Apple, two companies that I own, are doing the exact right thing by ignoring Wall Street and by playing to their own tools. You know, the CEO of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, came out with a 10 year plan. And this is going to look silly in about three years. Uh, 10 year plans very rarely live up. 
to what you think they're going to be. One of the things that he said in the next five years, Zuckerberg said, our goals are going to be about taking services like Instagram, Messenger, WhatsApp, Search, and helping them connect billions of people and become important businesses in their own right. You might notice now when you're on Facebook and you try to send someone a message, they're like, hey, use the app, use the app. Because they want a billion people on the app, a billion people on Facebook, a billion people. Like, they want to start splitting some of these services out so that they can, again, say, look, we've got another service that has a billion. Um, Their goal is to make Facebook a cross-platform platform platform that allows developers to build, grow, and monetize their apps across every major mobile platform. AppLinks is now used by hundreds of apps across iOS, Android, Windows phones just the past six months. So deep linking technology for mobile apps. Um, they're going to be going after real big-time ambitions over the next 10 years. They worked with a company called Airtel to launch the Internet.org app in Zambia that provides free data access to a set of basic Internet services like health, education, employment, and communication. They have the Oculus developers. They just did a conference recently where they announced a new prototype headset on path to a consumer version of the Rift. A lot of excitement in the developer community. Take a break here. I'm Rob Black. You can find me online at robblack.com. You can find CFP Chad Burton at newfocusfinancial.com. That's newfocusfinancial.com. Take care. Have a good day. Talk to you soon. Views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of the Wall Street Business Network, this station, its management, owners, or advertisers, and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel. Straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525.